I understand what it's like to come from two different places, but to say, you know what, like, this is who I am. This is, I'm proud to be this. Here are my views. And also while writing it, Frida inspired me even more to just be confident in who I am and, and how I want the world to see me. Because at the end of the day, like you are, as I write in the book, you are the author of your own story. And I think that's one of the greatest lessons I learned from Frida. By now, hopefully you've heard her name. If you haven't, you've seen her face on coffee mugs, shirts, pens, books, and just about anything you can put an iconic face on. Frida Kahlo. As Latinx, it's a name and face that we come to recognize very young. One of her most famous paintings is titled Viva la Vida. It was her last before her death. Perhaps a note to life. Something left to remind us that there's such a thing as living your life to the fullest by celebrating it every day. On this episode of Latin Ickies, I speak with Ariana Davis, digital director for O, the Oprah magazine, and author of What Would Frida Do? A Guide to Living Boldly. In her book, Ariana invites us to explore Frida's legacy through today's lens. Yes, because as crazy as everything is right now, there's always the Frida way to Viva la Vida. Hola, yo soy Andrea Márquez, and this is Latinx, a show brought to you by La Red Hispana and the Hispanic Communications Network for the new generation of Latinx. We want to go beyond listening. We're ready to speak up. So join me in conversation every week as I meet Latinx from all over, de diferentes colores y sabores. As you know, a podcast is a journey, and I would love for you to follow this one. So join our community on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Latinx and reach out. You can also find out more on our website at wearelatinikis.com. And I was reading your book. I'm not done with it yet, but I started it. And just how you portray everything and how your writing is beautiful. And so like, it, it made me feel like, oh yeah, <laughs> that was what it was like. It was a very surreal experience to know that I was in Frida's home after knowing about her all my life, yeah. you know? Thank you. Well, first of all, thank you so much for saying that my, that compliment about my writing. That means a lot. And I, especially now, given the times that we're living in, in this pandemic and just like wishing I could transport myself. I think that that, that memory of like being in Mexico city and being at La Casa Azul, where, which is now the Museo Frida Kahlo, that is like, I think about that so much and just how much her energy and her like creative essence, I feel like is still so much, just so much there, even though like so many years after her death, but I think the fact that the museum is like the house as it was when she left it and that it's very much, it feels like when you walk through that it's still her home. It's just so cool when you're there. Yeah, absolutely. I was talking to one of my producers about that because he's never been to Mexico City, period. Um, and he's never been there. And I was like, it's amazing all of the things they kept of her when you walk in and know like her wheelchair, her artwork, like her paintbrushes, her bed, you see everything. And it gives you this insight of who she was as a person um, and where all of her art, like inspiration for her artwork comes from. Right. Yeah. I think, um, you know, especially even having, I had at that point, so I had been to La Casa Azul when I was much younger and I've been to La Ciudad de Mexico a few times, but while I was writing the book, I wanted to make sure that I went while I was working on this to just kind of, like I stayed in an Airbnb in Coayacan, like literally around the corner. From the oh, I, like, 
I wanted to just make sure that I spent some time there while writing the book to kind of just like channel her energy and just see what her neighborhood and her city would have been like through her eyes. In addition to obviously I was there to do a ton of research and a lot of people know um, La Casa Azul as like the main kind of museum for Frida, but there's also the house that she and Diego live together in San Angel, which is like 20 minutes away or so. And it's that like famous house that they lived in that was technically two houses, but connected by a bridge because they didn't actually want to be in the same house together all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, it was a really amazing time for me creatively to just be there for both the research, but also I felt like at the end of every day, I just had so much inspiration and I would just spend so much time writing, writing, writing. It was, it was awesome. I mean, if there's someone that's going to inspire your writing, oh yeah, Frida, we can talk like a whole series of a podcast of just right. Frida's life. There's so many questions I have about her life and because um, I know a lot about her. You grow, you mentioned that in your book, like you grow up with mm-hmm. her as an icon to que es ser Latina, Mexicana, you know, little snippets. But as I imagine, when you're writing a book, there's not until you like actually write down and you're like, oh my God, there's all of these facets of her and there's phases as well because she went through various different you know moments of big impactful moments of her life so we can certainly talk forever about her but before that so speaking about one badass Latina woman another reason I'm super excited to have you is because you yourself are a badass and I'm really happy that you wanted to come and talk because I've been looking at the things you've been doing following your work and as a Latina can you talk to me a little bit about where you're from what your background is and sort of like how you got to where you are today so I am from from born and raised in Baltimore Maryland um actually not born fun fact I was born in St. Louis but I moved when I was like a year old so I'm from Baltimore um and So my mom is Puerto Rican and my dad is African-American. So I grew up um, kind of in the suburbs outside of Baltimore where, you know, identity was a big part of my upbringing. And I, 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 as a young person, struggled a lot with identity, feeling like always being biracial, being half Latina, half Black. But growing up around mostly, um, you know, mostly white neighborhood, I went to school where I would get teased and you know, my black friends would say, oh, you're Mexican. And my, you know, the few Latinos that there even were in Maryland were like, oh, but you don't really speak good Spanish. Like there was, I always had that kind of duality and that feeling of never feeling, um, you know, enough for either side. And so identity and my identity is something that has always been a big topic in my life and something that I struggled a lot with when I was younger. But I think as I got older, especially once I went to college and I became a writer and I was able to more express myself, it was something that I started to be like, you know what, like forget what everybody else thinks. Like I know who I am. My parents always made sure that I was proud of both parts of me, both sides of me. I was always very proud to be a black woman and always very proud to be a Latina woman. I'm Boricua. Like that's just like who I am. And I'm very proud of that, of that heritage. So Um, that answers hopefully the question of, you know, where I'm from in that sense. And then on the other hand, um, so I grew up in Maryland and I then went to Penn State where I studied journalism. And after college, I eventually, so I, you know, while I was in college, I, I always knew I wanted to be a writer since I was a kid. That was like my kind of escape since I was a young kid was like books and writing. 
So I, I majored in journalism in college, but I never thought I would be able to get into like the world of magazines because magazines was the one area where only people who had like the means and the funds to like move to New York right. and, and do internships. And it was always this very like untouchable, glamorous world that I never thought I would be able to break into. And it wasn't until actually there was a, um, the publisher of Seventeen magazine at the time. Her name was Jane Jameson. She spoke at a scholarship dinner at Penn State, and I basically like stalked her in the bathroom afterwards. And I was just like, I would like love to get your card just to like see if there's ever any way I could, you know, to visit you if I ever come to New York and visit you at Seventeen. She was super nice, gave me her card. So after I graduated and I moved to New York, I followed up with her, and we ended up having lunch, and she. Long story short, helped me get my foot in the door for an inter- a postgraduate internship at Oprah Magazine. And that was kind of how that whole journey started. I started at O as an intern, and then I went on to become Gail King's assistant for many years. And that was like probably the best growth I could have ever asked for in my 20s was like working for Gail King and working for Oprah Magazine. I learned so much, and I, I I I love to say that I feel like O Magazine raised me, and there's like not a better place that you could raise mm. because you know it was, the magazine's all about living your best life, and so starting my 20s there and in that kind of gig was was incredible. And then from there, I left and I went to Us Weekly where I was doing um, celebrity content, and then I went to Refinery 29 where I was writing. I was a senior features writer and also was doing some on-camera stuff. And that was like the most fun dream job I could have ever asked for. Refinery was a blast. And then in 2018, I returned to O to launch the the website. And I've been there since. And I'm now digital director overseeing um, our website and all of our social channels. So that's a long-winded answer to your question. (laughs) No, that's perfectly like what I was looking for. That's amazing. And a lot of our listeners are younger people in their 20s or in college that are trying to figure out what they want to be doing or how to even get there. And like you said, it's like this faraway dream that they don't realize how much easier it could be if they just learned a little bit about it or they had a mentor somewhere or, you know, just knew a little bit more about the journey like you just told us. So what does a day in the life of being a digital director look like? Well, these days, it's just like me and my sweatpants on my <laughs> True um, we're all from home. That's true. Yeah. But, you know, it's definitely a busy job. And yeah, so I, I have a team of, um, including me, I have a team of 10. And we basically, we're publishing on an average day, like 12 to 15 articles. And so it's, Every morning, I basically wake up and we're now. Since I'll I'll just speak in remote terms, so this seems to be working right. for the for the near future. But um, we all get on Slack and we'll you know the team starts pitching ideas, and so I'll greenlight some ideas and we'll just take a look at what our lineup will look like for the day. Talk about what's happening in the news or what's happening in the world, as well as like what are the evergreen stories that everyone's working on. So it's a combination of kind of greenlighting stories, and then throughout the day, me and my deputy editor were both. Um, top editing stories from different writers. Um, sometimes I'm also assigning to freelancers as if there's like a topic that we want someone to write about, or I also get a ton of pitches that I usually spend some time in the morning going through. So editorially, it's a lot of like editing, assigning, greenlighting stories. And, you know, we obviously are not, we're, Oprah Magazine is more all about living your best life. And we are looking to 
really provide service to our readers and also to provide them a little bit of an escape. We're not CNN, we're not the New York Times, so we're not doing news in that sense, but we do do a lot of like celebrity content and some of just like the fun, light, uplifting content that will hopefully take people's minds off of all the worst things that are happening in the world. But we also do, you know, we've done a lot of content around the pandemic and we are making sure that we're keeping our readers informed around the election. So it's kind of just making sure I'm always keeping my eye on our content and making sure that it feels like it's a good balance. And then I also oversee um, all of our social video strategies. So we haven't been doing as much video right now, obviously, given given the times. But social-wise, I work really closely with our social media editor on just what kind of content is going up for the day and how can we make sure we're best serving our readers. So on a typical day, it's kind of a mix of all of those things. And then some days, these days it's all on Zoom, but some days I also do like speaking engagements or I'll, I'll sometimes be invited to speak on panels um, or do a lot of these days, a lot of my time is also doing interviews about the book, which is super exciting. So it's all happening just here from my little apartment in New York. And a lot of times I'm just like in my sweatpants, but <laughs> it, you know, I feel like now this is the new normal and I'm getting used to it. So I, yeah, so that's kind of like a, a look at every, a, a day in the life these days. I do miss the like glamorous Hearst Tower and right. getting dressed every day. But, I, you know, there's also some benefits of working from home and having a little bit more flexibility. So can't complain. If I tried to tell you everything that's important about Frida Kahlo, it might take a couple of podcast episodes. So instead, I chose a few interesting facts about her that you may or may not know already. Frida was born in 1907, but often said she was born in 1910 because she wanted her birth to coincide with the beginning of the Mexican Revolution. That says a lot about her already. When Frida was young, she suffered a near-fatal accident, and that's what led her to start painting because she was bedridden for many, many months. Before that, Frida wanted to be a doctor. She was born and died in Casa Azul, now a famous museum located in Coyoacán, Mexico. Ariana writes about it in her book. There's just so much about her. Her influence can be felt all over the world, even today. Your book is titled, What Would Frida Do? My first question, which I'm sure you've been getting a lot, is what inspired you to write this book? Well, it's actually an interesting story in that the process of this book kind of happened backwards. So actually, um, the publisher, so the uh, Seal Press, which is an imprint under Hachette Books, had actually reached out to me because they had the idea that they felt like now would be a good time to publish a book, something about the life of Frida Kahlo, because there hasn't been, there's been a lot of books written about Frida over the years, of course. But, you know, there, I think there the, the publisher realized, and as well as I did, that there's a new generation that maybe isn't as familiar with her story, and yet her story and all the things that she w- went through are so much more timely now than ever. She was someone who broke so many barriers and was so far ahead of her time. And they had this idea, and they ha- heard through the grapevine that this is how you know you're really a Frida fan. They had heard through the grapevine about me, and they had fo- been following my work, and they heard that I was a really big Frida fan. So mm-hmm. they reached out to ask like if I had any ideas or if I had any interest in writing something about Frida. And at the time we had actually just recently launched OprahMag.com and my life was pretty crazy. I was working, you know, crazy hours and we had just launched the site and it was very all like just all consuming. 
So I was a little worried that I would not have the time to, on top of that, write a book. But for me, I was like, I have admired Frida for so long in my life. And I immediately had so many different ideas. And I was just like, there's no way, like, I'm definitely taking advantage of this opportunity. So the idea of what we're free to do came about with me just thinking about this is a woman who so many people are familiar with her story, but what is there new that we can, what is there new to say, or what is there that I could, if I, you know, as Ariana, but as also as a Latina and also as a woman and a feminist myself, what could I add to carrying on the torch of her legacy? Like, what could I bring to the table? And I thought a lot about how I thought that while many of us might know her story and maybe have seen the movie or have read some of the other biographies about her, I thought that really focusing on the lessons we can learn from her life and just the many ways that, you know, if you really think about Frida, she came of age in the 20s, 30s, 40s during a time when, you know, women and especially not Mexican women were not being encouraged to be bold or to live authentic lives or to be mm-hmm. feminist. And Frida was feminist. She was queer. She was outspoken. She painted art that was boundary breaking. I mean, she did all of those things during a time that women were not being encouraged to do any of those things. And so now I think fast forward to 2020 during a time when women are finally being encouraged to be themselves and finally having the types of opportunities that weren't as available back then. When you look back at all the things Frida did, it's like, wow, she was so far ahead of her time, was so bold, was so inspiring. And so for me, I just thought, what would Frida do in addition to hopefully introducing her story to a new generation of of, of readers and people who might be posting her quotes on Instagram but not really knowing the story behind them. I hope that it will introduce her story to them while also inspiring people to buy the story of this woman who was just such a boundary breaker and such a badass. So yeah, so that was kind of the how, how it all came together. And so I, I don't like to call it a biography because I think it's like part biography, but also really part kind of a self-help guide. When I was asked what the book is about, I said, it's living life through Frida's eyes. What would you say, like, in a sentence that this book is about? This book is about a an iconic, legendary, badass woman who, and all of the lessons that she showed us by example on how to live a bold, authentic, full life. As we were talking about in the beginning, since there's so many facets of her life and just th- it's this incredibly rich and colorful life that she lived, what was your writing process like to be able to cover everything, but at the same time bring it down to this generation or else being able to be interested in it in a different way? As you mentioned, there's a lot of books that are already written. My process was... Very, I definitely, I had outlines upon outlines to try to like, again, because there has been, she has such an incredible story. And the more and more research that I continued to do, the more and more I was like, how am I going to fit all of this into a book? I mean, the, what's known as kind of like the greatest and most well-known biography about Frida was published in 1983 by Hayden Herrera. And it's like a 600 page, super thick biography. And so I was like, I knew that this was not going to be that. But I still wanted to make sure that I was getting in some of the most important and well-known but also inspiring details of her life. So I really started by, like, outlining all those things. And as I was outlining, the kind of most natural way that it came together was thinking, okay, I think every chapter can focus on a different area of her life. So there's a chapter on confidence, 
chapter on creativity. There's a chapter on style. There's a chapter on love. There's a chapter on heartbreak. So it goes through Frida's life, but it's also very categorized by just different themes. And so if, even if you aren't like the most big Frida fan or you're not necessarily an art fan, but you just want a little dose of inspiration about how to cultivate your own style or you're looking for a little inspiration to be creative, you can just read those chapters and find inspiration on, on those elements. So that was how I decided to kind of organize the book. And my process was a lot of, again, I was like, you know, have kind of a busy day job. So I really was, I had to be very strict with my time and just making sure that like during the week, there were certain days of the week where I just had time set aside at night that I had to write like a certain amount mm-hmm. and I spent a lot of time on the weekends, like pretty much every Saturday for like months was like, I would just spend the entire day writing. And that was pretty much how I made it through. It was just a combination of like, I would be surrounded by different Frida books and I watched the movie like a million times and I'd spend late nights just like researching her on the internet. And then at one point I went to Mexico City for a week and that was when, as I mentioned, I got an Airbnb in Hawaiian and I, that was kind of like my little writer's retreat where during the day I would walk through her neighborhood, go to the places I had learned with some of her favorite spots. I went to different museums. I went to um, a few libraries to find some like more rare books about Frida. And then at night, I would just write and write and write. So that of my whole creative process is definitely my favorite part. But I spent a lot of time, you know, just trying to fit in the writing time where I could. And eventually, with all of the writing and research, it just kind of came together. A lot of people get really overwhelmed by the idea of writing a book, especially because a lot of people want to write a book, but with the like the I mean, for me personally, the excuse is always like, well, first of all, I don't know what I would write a book about yet. But if I did, it was like, I don't know where I would fit the time right now. I barely have time to like go exercise or, you know, spend time with my family. I don't know. But it is definitely about sitting down and being like, okay, I'm just going to get through this. I think for me, having the deadline was what really helped me because I think that if I just was like writing the manuscript and I had endless amount of time and it was just like on me to figure out when this was going to be due, I would probably still be working on it. So for me, having a deadline and having you know the expectation that I need to deliver this book really helped because... There were a lot of weekends where I wanted to just have brunch with my friends or do other things or just like spend the day reading. And I was like, nope, like as much as I would love to and and I would love to like unwind a little bit from work, I have to get this book done. So I had to be really strict about my schedule and just figuring out how I could make it work with my life. And it helped that I was really passionate and really excited to do the book. So that made it a little less of a hard thing but you know deadline deadlines looming there's nothing like those that will that will get you into shape and make sure that you that you get stuff done and it was worth it because here we are talking about it already done (laughs) so i've been trying something new ariel my producer gave me this great idea to call this segment la esquinita the corner this will be a work in progress but i'll be sharing some of my thoughts of the week I voted earlier this week, and given the current situation with the pandemic, I was a little nervous because since February, I haven't been inside any establishments or been around too many people. My mother has cancer, so we can't really run the risk of exposing ourselves. But I knew that I had to vote, especially because here in Brownsville, Texas, they have curbside voting. I learned about that two days before I went to vote, And I was really excited because I took my cousin with me, and it's her first time voting. It was so easy. 
We pulled up, didn't even get out of the car, circled in our choices, got our stickers, and then drove away. Easy. So, so easy. I know that not everyone is able to go vote in these circumstances, but if you can vote, there aren't many excuses. And I know, I know, everyone is talking about voting everywhere you turn, but that should tell you how incredibly important this is. And that's coming from both sides of the aisle. So here's one more person reminding you to vote. Okay, I'll stop now. So if I may, I'm going to read a little part of your book Ooh, um, that okay. struck out to me that I really loved. I really loved the, oh, the beginning and you should all read the book. It's just really wonderfully done. Um, oh, yay. So I'm going to try my best with my yeah. writing, my reading skills. But the more I write, the more self-conscious I become about the prose that might elicit eye rolls from this fictional Frida. And before I know it, she speaks. A lilt accenting the syllables of her warm alto as she flicks ash from her cigarette. After squinting her eyes and staring at me for a few moments, she asks bluntly, Are you Mexican? I should have seen this coming. Nervously, I blabber the explanation that while I'm not Mexican, I am half Puerto Rican and half black, and very proud to be writing this book as both a Latina and a woman of color who has admired her work and life for years. In my imagination, she huffs before following up with a rant about how she doesn't know how I can stand to live in New York City, or Gringolandia, as she calls it. With a sigh, I remind her that I did make my way to her home in Mexico City to research her story and paid careful attention to detail as I captured her identity, culture, and influences. She paces back and forth from the window, and after a few minutes, well, if it is you writing this thing, don't just give me compliments, she says. I hate flattery. Tell the people whether I had any real talent. Okay, so, I feel like I need to put your name in the running for the audiobook because that was <laughs> such a good, that was such a good reading. Like, I was like, I forgot that I wrote it for a minute. I was like, wow, this is, this is so, so engaging. Great job. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, well, it's really, here's the thing about uh, reading out loud. If it's, well-written, it makes it easier um, to know oh, what you were you. trying to say and how you were saying it, even with, you know, the, the words you chose to italicize. So the reason I chose this part was because, and you spoke to this at the beginning, this whole feeling of identity, which is also one of the parts of the book that, um, that we chose to highlight for Frida's life, right? And my question to you while reading this and knowing how you went through this kind of like identity crisis because you're Latina, you're black, but you don't speak Spanish well, but you're, you're a Latina, you're from Puerto Rico and your mother's family, like as you told me, calls you Ariana. And what puts you in a unique position to be the person to write this book? This is such a good question and I, and I appreciate you asking this. I you know, I'm not going to lie. There was definitely some moments, which is what brought along that that part of realizing, like, yes, I'm Latina, and as a Latina, I'm very proud, and and it means a lot to me, and I feel like I do have a connection to the legacy of Frida. But I also was like, you know, at the end of the day, I'm not Mexican, and so that was something that really was a priority for me that I wanted to make sure that I did my due diligence and that I did the research. But an interesting thing that did come up for me also while writing the book is that Frida herself 
comes from two cultures. You know, a lot. Of, I think that we forget because Frida was so proudly Mexicana and she was so proud of where she was from that her father was German. And she, had, you know, she actually, the, the original spelling of her name was the German Frida, F-R-I-E-D-A, which she only changed when she, I think when she got into like her 30s. So it was interesting for me thinking about Frida in that context, context and remembering that she also came from two cultures, but she was just confident in who she was. She decided at an early age she was embracing the fact that she's met, that she's born and raised in Mexico. She embraced her mother's indigenous Mexican roots, and she was always very proud of who she was and very confident in who, who she was. She never let anyone else define her, and that was something that I began to do as I got older. Once I got past the, you know, when I was younger, I was a lot more insecure about my identity, and I would feel very... I, I spent a lot of time as, you know, especially I think in my like middle school and teen years feeling very lost and feeling very like trying to prove who I was to people. And it wasn't until I got a little bit older that I finally was like, no, I have the power to identify myself. Like I'm the only one who can, who can, who can say who I am. And so seeing that part of Frida's story and writing about her and realizing that she had her own journey to identity, I related a lot to that while writing the book. So I think for me, from the perspective that I'm coming from, I definitely understand what it's like to, I understand what it's like to come from two different places, but to say, you know what, like, this is who I am. This is, I'm proud to be this. Here are my views. And also while writing it, Frida inspired me even more to just be confident in who I am and, and how I want the world to see me. Because at the end of the day, like you are, as I write in the book, you are the author of your own story. And I think that's one of the greatest lessons I learned from Frida. So speaking of identity, you lay out different aspects like sex, love, friendship, more. But on the identity part, you you give us like three ways to be to do this or to live these the way Frida did sort of or the way she the through her lens today, right? And in the identity, one of those aspects you give are know your role. Given the political and social landscape that we're living through right now in the environment, what is your role in mm. this world, I guess. <laughs> I think for me, I think my role is to inspire and uplift people. I think that that's one thing that I have the, I'm so grateful to have the opportunity to do because of working for Oprah Magazine, because of the platform that I, the, and the work that I've done as a journalist. I think that being able to inspire people through my own story and through telling other stories people like Frida, people like Oprah Winfrey, people who have, you know, gone after their dreams and have overcome obstacles to end up where they are now. I think one of my favorite things and one of the things I'm most passionate about doing as as a writer, as an editor, as a journalist is telling those stories and offering up examples for other women and particularly women of color to see their own potential and to see what they're capable of. So for me, I think that's something that I've realized more in recent years is I think especially also even just with social media and just the feedback that I've been able to get through, you know, Instagram and Twitter is realizing we're living in such crazy times. And I think everyone needs a little bit of uplifting and a little bit of positivity and a little bit of inspiration. So I think that my role is hopefully to be able to amplify stories and to amplify positive messages and to help keep people inspired and uplifted despite all of the craziness that's going on in the world. I think that's a very important role to have right now. And it goes tied into like, as you mentioned, uh, 
O magazine that it's all about living your best life and 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 how striking that balance between let's not just talk about all of the bad things that are happening in the world here are the uplifting stories um, and I think that's really important now more than ever given a lot of our headlines are look at this bad thing this one person did look at this bad thing this other person did so is there one major way you could tell me that writing this book changed you as a person I think it's gonna sound a little cliche and it's gonna sound like I'm just trying to promote the book, but honestly, honestly, like I think the question of what would Frida do is something that's just stuck with me ever since I finished writing the book. And I hope that it will do the same for others. But for me, there are moments, especially, you know, I finished writing the book before the pandemic started and the this the last six months have been incredibly difficult for all of us, myself included. And there's been a lot of, you know, ups and downs, but a lot of downs and I have moments sometimes where, you know, I'm sad or I'm going through something in my personal life or I'm in a tricky situation at work or whatever the case may be. And I, I quite literally find myself asking myself at some point if I'm stuck, like, what would Frida do? And I think that thinking about her having written this book, having done so much research, the answer was almost always she would have done she would have done whatever the most bold choice would be. Like whatever it would whatever the choice would be, she would like she would have done it boldly and she would have done it in whatever way is pushing me to live my life to the fullest. And so Viva La Vida is like the, is the, was the message that she wrote on her final painting before she died. And to me, every time I think about it, I get chills because this was, she was essentially like, she knew she was going to die. She knew she was really ill. She knew that um, the illnesses and all of the, the physical challenges and ailments that followed her through her life were finally catching up with her and she was someone who endured so much pain from her relationship with Diego to all of the physical ailments. And so the fact that she still was able to encourage people to live their life or to say long live life, I mean, that to me always just really inspires me. And there, in the final chapter, I talk a lot about the way, the many ways that she lived her life to the fullest. There's small things, everything from when she would have dinner, set the dinner table for her and Diego, she would like go to the market and spend hours like shopping for flowers and different, the perfect like ways to make the table a piece of art just as much as she would her own artwork. Or, you know, there's that infamous story of her first ever art exhibition while she was in uh, her first ever art exhibition in Mexico. She was told by a doctor to not leave her be her bed and that she shouldn't go. And so she was like, okay, I'm not going to leave my bed. I'm going to bring my bed to the art exhibit and I will be there from my bed. And she went and she was in her bed and she didn't leave because she was gravely ill, but everyone around her was able to show her love and she was able to see her own art exhibition through her own eyes in person. And so it's just moments like that that really, I think, inspired me to look at life and realize that no matter what obstacles are thrown my way, just like Frida did, I can push through and I still can choose to, I can choose my outlook on life and I can choose it to be positive and I can, I have the choice of living life boldly and, and living my life as, as big as I want it to be. If there's anything I believe from Frida's story that I've known most of my life is she did no small thing. Everything she was able to accomplish was just, mi mamá siempre dice, she was way before her time. I don't know what world she would have lived in 
today, what she would have thought of today. And, and I think you even addressed that in your book. I highlighted it. Would she love that, that we all love her, right? And, and like the different variations that we've taken on her art, or would she be horrified at the thought of how, as you put, watered down her ideals, politics, and works? If you follow me on Instagram at here, you might have already seen that I recommend books. So I thought of giving you my recommendation of the week here on books or any other cool stuff I might come across. This week I recommend reading the book Can't Even, How Millennials Became the Burnout Generation by Anne Helen Peterson. The title is pretty self-explanatory. If you're feeling burned out, like your life is an endless to-do list, tired of mindlessly scrolling through social media and then getting anxiety from seeing how perfect everyone's life is, this book is for you. The author does such a great job in bringing us into what millennials are feeling right now. No matter who you are, no matter how perfect your life might seem on Instagram, she examines burnout culture through the ways we work, parent, or socialize. Give it a read. That's Can't Even, How Millennials Became the Burnout Generation by Anne Helen Peterson. If you read it, let me know what you think. DM us at Ladnekis or you can DM me directly at Andrea M. Here. What do you think Frida would think of how the world is today? Yeah, it's something I've definitely thought a lot about, and it's something especially with, you know, the pandemic and the fact that most of us are spending a lot more time at home than usual. People, you know, especially when this all first started and everyone was quarantining at home, I thought a lot about Frida as someone who spent so much time literally just stuck at home, but also like stuck in her bed for weeks or months at a time. And that was when she created some of her most well-known artwork that we know today. So I think Sometimes I would think about, again, answering the question of what would Frida do in this pandemic, I would think that she would probably have turned that pain and boredom and anxiety and all of those feelings that most of us have been feeling through the coronavirus pandemic and turned it into art. Whether that, I don't think that necessarily means art in, you know, on a canvas, but I think art in whatever that means for you, whether it's writing a book or whether it's just putting your all into a big work project or whether it's paying attention to the small details of your outfit every day or you know whatever it is I think that she would she would try to channel all those feelings into creativity of some sort so I think when I think about the pandemic in these times I think that that's how she would respond and when it comes to just generally the world today I mean obviously with the news headlines around the president and what's happening in politics I definitely think Frida would be very outspoken and would have a lot of thoughts and feelings about what's happening right now when it comes to when it comes to politics. But I 100% think that she would be protesting, that she would be out here encouraging people to vote, that she would be reminding all of us of our role in democracy. And no matter what her political views would be at this time, I think that she would definitely be involved and be vocal and be inspiring others to do the same. So, you know, Frida, when there is a a few weeks before she died, she had just gotten over um, pneumonia, I think it was, and she wasn't supposed to go out, but she did. She went out to go protest, and she was out in the streets holding up, you know, holding up a sign, a sign alongside Diego, and 
she was definitely never someone who was quiet about her ideals or her politics. And so I think that she would be very vocal during this time um, and also encouraging all of us to, to do the same. Thank you so much for having me. This has been such a lovely conversation and I love what you're doing with Latinx and I wish you all the best luck. And for anyone who wants to read What Would Frida Do? It's available October 20th. You can find it at any of your, your favorite bookseller, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. If you want to support your local independent bookstore, which I'm encouraging everyone to do right now because they need our support during these times, you can check out bookshop.org. And yeah, what would Frida do? She's almost she's almost here, like just days away from the release. And I'm, I'm super excited to get her out in the world and also to just hear how other people respond. And hopefully it will be um, in a positive way. What would Frida do if she needed a reminder to live life to the fullest? She would be grateful for every moment of every day, down to the tiniest detail, whether it was carefully planning her outfit or taking extra care as she set the table for a meal. She would love without hesitation or abandon, pour her passion into her work, her politics, her friends, and her significant other, even if the world told her not to. That's from Ariana's book, what would Frida do? Out now. You can find a link to it in the description of this episode. Today, try asking yourself, what does living life boldly mean to me? So guys, as I always say, make sure to support your communities. It doesn't matter what you choose to advocate for, just go out there and help. Connect and inspire others to do the same. Thank you for listening and supporting Ladnikis. We've loved seeing the growth and engagement on our platforms. Remember to check out additional information about this episode in the description. Lastly, support us by downloading our podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts so you can stay up to date. And join our community on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Ladnikis. Reach out and let me know what's important to you. I'd love to hear what you have to say. <laughs>